Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You're listening to the Wild 7 Podcast Network. Listen different. Hello, how can I help you? Where can I find apples? Produce aisle. Where can I find ice cream? Frozen aisle. Where can I find the last 25 years of my life? Alcohol and prescriptions aisle. In the words of Alex Rogers... Episode 18. Have a magical rainbow unicorn day. This is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. The test begins like this. 2 plus 2 equals... Followed by, if x equals p, then how is p subdivided by c? Welcome, my friends. Welcome back. This is Alex Rogers, recording and reporting from a timeless zone in which your listening is the now. And how we doing, me lads and lasses? How is it, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so? And how do you do, Mr. and Mrs. Hey-ya-hey? We're doing this fine. We're doing... <laughs> that, that came out real drunk and mumbly. I have not been drinking. Smoking weed? Maybe. But, uh, no, yes, I have been. Uh, but it will not affect this flight. Oh, shit! Oh, Sorry, a bit of turbulence there. Uh, yeah, that was funny, the little mumble back there. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I try to pride myself in being a little bit capable of being heard, 
and understood as I enunciate and pontificate my meaning across the land from sea to shining sea. But sometimes I do let a mumble come out. What are you doing, guys? I don't know. What do you want to say? I could you see what doing with the man? <laughs> Mumbling is very funny. What if? Ooh, you know. Oh wow! Now that was an interesting sound. Ah, oh, goddamn it, Ethel! What did I tell you about dropping that lid? You can drop anything else that you want in the kitchen, but not that lid. That lid. You can get any pot you want, but no one can replace that lid. Do you know what my great grandmother went through? <laughs> I don't dare repeat it here, but it was a lot. Uh, no, but uh, mumblers. Sometimes you know, I I'll, I'll admit I've I've sometimes been a little bit judgy when it comes to some people who who. Who you know, just habitual mumblers. I, I, I think I have. I think I think this is fair. The following social rule: If I don't hear you the first time, that's my bad. I, I, I probably wasn't listening. But if I don't hear you the second time, maybe you need to enunciate. But boy, if I don't hear you that third time, we know the problem's on you. Uh, <laughs> so, for example. What are you gonna have a summon it in? What? What are you gonna have a summon it in? Huh? What are you gonna have a summon it in? Okay, now see, it's your fault now. It's your fault now. You didn't do anything different the second or third time. The, the volume didn't change. The, the enunciation. This is the story about people who mumble. It's a very original story about people who mumble because you've probably never heard a story like this before. There's an interesting tale about a mumbler who one day perfected his life by taking a speech diction class. And he proved himself to be more than a mumbler. And one day he said, I can and shall be heard. No, I think once again this is, a, I try to make it funny, but I do also catch myself being a little harsh. Um, and I think it kind of comes from being... Uh, born and bred into a highly linguistic family. And so uh, I think there's this kind of, uh, I have sort of a resting, uh, what is it? What do, what do all the cool kids say? A resting bitch face? That's, a, that's such a funny term, by the way. Resting bitch face. <laughs> Before you leave the temple, you will need to learn resting bitch face. Oh, that's very good, Stephen. Um, yeah, yeah. So, all this is to uh, what? What is all this to say? Boy, we never really know right around here on it war. We just don't really know. But we find it as we go. Throw me into the verbal deep end, and I will swim my way back to the grammatical shore. Okay, good for you, buddy. We're not impressed. All right, so I've been having this interesting little thought 
as things start to reopen and we reintegrate ourselves into a consuming public going out to see shows, especially live productions, maybe even theater, or maybe not live, well, that too, let's say theater, movies, concerts, I'm really hoping that um, there's kind of like a reset on audience perception and appreciation of what's going on. I, boy, you know, in the years before COVID, you could feel this shift happening. And I can only speak from my own experience. I come from the theater, and that's pretty fucking obvious to anyone who's listened to me for half a second. Whether I like it or not, I can't get away from it. It's it's my background and it's in my blood. Even though nowadays I'm so disenchanted with theater, but that's a conversation for another time, and not too far from now. But I've been on stage, backstage, and in front of the stage in the audience since I was about six years old. So I've seen a lot of rehearsals in my time. I've been in a lot of rehearsals. And when you're in productions, you're backstage, on stage, participating, leading, following, ensembling. And you do enough plays, you really start to appreciate the writing that is given to you, the amazing scripts that have come from amazing minds all over time. Sometimes you get real lucky and you get to do some Shakespeare. Sometimes you get lucky in other ways and do more contemporary writers, people who really have their finger on the pulse. And sometimes you do some fun, froofy, who gives a fuck, and also, who cares, not everything has to be relevant and game-changing. There's also just some fun shit out there. Like anything. But I'll tell you this much. If it's funny, you should laugh. Especially if it's a live theater show. And coming from having done many different genres of theater, but I'd say a little more than half of them, all in the name of comedy, sometimes you encounter really shy audiences. (laughs) Now, I can already feel the other half of the audience in my brain, which might even be the other half of the audience right now listening to me go, well, maybe it's because you guys weren't that funny. Maybe that's not why you were getting a lot of laughs. To which I'd say, eh, well, maybe you're right. But I know this much. If I'm watching a show and it's funny, I'm going to laugh. As an audience member, I think it's not only my pleasure and privilege and opportunity to react to whatever is emotionally shown to me, to in turn, you know, respond with my own emotions. But that's also kind of like the social agreement you make, and it adds the fuel to the performance by just lending your listening there. Now, obviously, no one wants a heckler. No one wants a a commentator. The last thing you want to do while you're up there going to be or not to be is to have someone stand up in the audience and go, I know exactly how you feel, Hamlet! So, you know, 
but we want to know that you're listening to us. And if we hit that line where it's definitely like, ha ha, this is a moment, you ought to laugh. Now, some plays are not as cut and dry. And my whole little long-winded preamble to this theater talk is to really bring up one specific example of something that, con- that I saw with my own eyes, and then I started to see it kind of increase across the land. I once, not too long ago, about four or five years ago, I went to a, uh, a live performance of The Homecoming by Harold Pinter. Now, Harold Pinter is an amazing playwright. He's an English playwright. And imagine a world that has Guy Ritchie stock characters of, like, gangs, British gangsters doing things, and you got, you're going to do the job, and we're going to do this job, and... You know, but meanwhile, have you have you got any more of that tea? And tonight's sausage night. You're gonna make any? Are you really gonna make sausages? What that kind of stuff? But imagine if instead of moving at the pace of Guy Ritchie, it's like in the lens of David Lynch, and with like weird pauses, like you indeed experience in surreal things like David Lynch. So that's one of my favorite things about Harold Pinter plays is that they have a lot of weirdness and mystery and also a lot of colloquial British slang and just the rhythm of that is so engaging. And it ranges because he wrote plays that don't, as usual, as my favorite stuff, stick to just one genre. When you watch his shit, there's everything from the hilarious to the truly unnerving, like violent, violating. It, it, it goes everywhere. Lots of mystery and surrealism. My favorite shit. Y'all know what's up. Well, I saw a really good local production. It was in Venice, California. Got to go see this production that the actors pound for pound, really killed it. And and the thing about The Homecoming is that it has the formula that a lot of us love to see whether we get it or know it or not. And that is we kind of enjoy watching not our family, but someone else's family tear themselves apart. And The Homecoming is just a shit ton of abusive talk between... A father, an old father, like an old man, his grown-up three sons, and there's no mother. But you do get this strange visitor who is the new wife of one of the sons. And she kind of is a bit of a, a mystery and a seductress and everything else. But what you end up getting is all kinds of power play as a result and some savage dialogue that just bites into people. And it, as a result, is fucking hilarious. It is. I'm sorry, not everything funny is slipping on a banana peel and farting. Those are great, don't get me wrong. But sometimes watching an old man look at his grown son and just say to him, You bitch! You'll drown in your own blood. 
Like that 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 is amazing. Dude, there's this one moment where one of the sons who's who's kind of like an Alex from Clockwork Orange type of dangerous youth, he just kind of revels and tells tales about violent things he's done to women and he's just he's he's a a dark kind of sinister dude. But at the same time, no one is exactly who they seem to be in Harold Pinter world. But there's this moment where he's getting annoyed with his old dad, who's clearly just, I mean, this is, it's like an alcoholic, abusive relationship. All kinds of things. I mean, the reason I said all kinds of things right here is I realized that, you know, a, a British family, an old European family with alcoholism, that's it's like, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but... But the point is, there's this confrontation that they have late at night, and the the son character decides to just go real low, and he goes, because the, the, the father is, like, demanding to know, the, oh, no, there was some secret talk down here. What were you talking about? And then the son just looks at him and says, all right, I'll tell you what, Dad, you want to have a nice bit of a chat? I'm going to ask you a question. It's been something I've been wanting to ask you for a long time. That night, you know, that night with mum, that night you got me, what was it like, eh? When you were at it, doing it. You know, he just starts saying this incredibly fucking, just like the most inappropriate and like staring him down. And, and, you know, and then, and then kind of doing this passive aggressive finish to his monologue where he's like, you know, it might be a strange question to ask you, dad, but as you seem to be in the mood to, you know, have this little conversation with me, I thought I'd, you know, just pop it to you. (laughs) Now, guess what? You know what you're supposed to do when you're watching this? Instead of having, you know, not only having your mouth open, because you know what we often do when our mouths are open in shock? We tend to go, oh my God. And we're laughing. All right, so what are you getting at, Alex? You've been sounding like you're about to get a little heated here. It sounds fine so far. Yeah, you're presenting this to us. It makes sense. It's a dark comedy. And so in the dark parts, you go, and in the comedy parts, you go, ha, ha, ha. So what, what, what gives? Well, I'll tell you this much, folks. I know the play very well, too, by the way. Before I saw this live production, I'm really familiar with it. It's kind of one of those bucket list plays that I'd like to be a part of at some part, some point in my life. And you know what's cool about Harold Pinter, by the way? For any actor out there who's freaking out, thinking that they're old because they're 28 now or some nonsense, every juicy role... Really, I've noticed in stage productions, and especially in like quality stage productions, they tend to be about older people. Like the best roles by Pinter, they tend to be people in their like fifties and sixties and seventies. Like it, it, it's like, hey, you gotta work, you gotta live a little before you get real interesting. So anyway, why am I mentioning all this? Well, I'm I'm I, I'm watching this production. I know it very well. I'm 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 knowing the beats. They're hitting it, so I'm laughing. I'm a little, you know, you're extra jazzed when you know something well and it's being done well. So intermission comes. I'm probably having some nice little concession thing to help support the local theater, 
Would you like a lemon cake and or chocolate chip cookie? We even have a bar. And if you prefer, just 7-Up. <laughs> and I'm supporting the local theater and waiting for the, you know, intermission to end, get to act two, all right? And this just, like, ugh. All right, say it, Alex. This bitch loser, fucking dummy dude, comes up to me, and he says, so, um, I understand that you're, you know, you're, you I get that the show's very entertaining and I can see you enjoy it a lot, but um, your laughter, it's just a little distracting um, for me to be able to understand what's happening and enjoy the show. And at first, I honestly thought he was joking with me. I honestly thought this guy was, you know, because you know how sometimes we, we go up and we go like, hey, can you enjoy that a little less? Or, you know, or like, or like, hey, hey, why the long face when someone is, you know, clearly having a good time? I, I really, I thought he was doing that. I was just like, Wait, are are you for real, dude? Yeah, you know it's just it's just distracting. You know, I'm just I'm trying to watch this play, and then I'll, I I'm just hearing you laughing. I looked at the guy. I was like, and you know what's funny? You know what came out of my mouth? A Harold Pinter line, <laughs> not a real one though. It did just just not I should say nothing he wrote, but something that just came out of me. I went, "Are you trying to curtail my enjoyment?" Which is basically my way of saying, like, are you out of your fucking mind? And I, and then I further said to him, like, you, you do realize what we're looking at is a comedy. A dark comedy, I grant you. But this is supposed to be hilarious. And when things are hilarious, we tend to, as an audience, laugh. And I, and I was just as sort of, you know, kind of insultingly pedantic as that and god damn it the fucker deserved it what do you mean are you out of your fucking mind you don't go up to people and say oh could you could you laugh a little less at a comedy look i get it if we were watching sophie's choice and i'm going ah, that's who she chose <laughs> then yes come up to me and say that was in bad taste but i mean come on guys this is a comedy. What, what what am I not supposed to laugh? Why, and and why don't you fucking join in? I was kind of saying that minus all the f words there. F words. Alex, you said 17 fucks so far at least in this show and now you say f word that <laughs> too little too late, love. So the guy starts to walk away cuz he kind of realizes he's out of arguments. And I remember I even kind of yelled after him, like, hey, hey, man, you know, if do you, you started this silly conversation, don't you want to end it? No, of course, you know, all he wanted to do was go, I'd like to control your emotions, but I see you're not in the mood to be controlled. So I'm going to go back there and a few years time, I'm probably have an ability to write some scathing blog about how theater is declining because people are having genuine human reactions and what's supposed to be an organic experience. I did my homework and understood that we as the audience are supposed to appear appreciative. We're not actually supposed to be here to really feel the feelings and maybe lend our energy to the actors who are busting their asses off to produce an emotional fabricated reality for us. No. I'm here to sit here and put my hands calmly on my lap and just sort of go, mm, 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 mm. Which is exactly the sounds I make while copulating. Oh, Alex, you had to go there. 
Well, anyway. I actually, it got to my head, too. Motherfucker, it's like, what do you, what do you, what are you expecting me to do with that news? Can, can you not laugh so much? Uh, oh, am I supposed to go, you know what, he's right. You know, I've, I better not, I, so, so and I, but I did start to get in my head. And sure enough, when the next funny parts came, I, I was like, ha, 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 you motherfucker. Well, guess what? The dude was wrong all along. I, I talked to some of the actors afterwards. When they were coming out, I was just like, hey, hey, guys, guys, great show, great show. And quick question. What, was, my, was, was I laughing in a way that maybe like wasn't good for you guys? Did, did you, were you distracted by my laughter? And I explained to them what was up with that audience member. And they were like, no, are you kidding me? Dude, we've been waiting for people to laugh. People don't understand that this is a comedy. They they don't get that as a family is yelling at each other, tearing each other apart. That can be funny. And I was right there with them. I'm like, yeah, I know. Exactly. exactly. It's just... Dude, long story short, don't be fucking literal. And if and whether that guy, even if it was a comedy, like truly like like the odd couple, something that's just like ba ba da ba ba da punchline, if it was one of those shows, I bet this fucker still wouldn't have liked the fact that everyone was laughing. He just wanted to control how things are done. Ugh. Anyway, I can be a bit of a sore winner because he was wrong the minute he said it. I let him know, and sure enough, had the cast been there, they would have backed me up. But I still just think about that stupid little fucking lost teddy bear look that the guy had. Not a man, not a fucking dude with conviction, just a little bitch. Okay. Alex, I like it when you're a little sweeter. Well, I know, Cindy Lou Who, but there's many sides to a man, and sometimes we see some ugly. Or it's sexy, I don't know. Depends on who you are, whether you're near or far. Shakespeare, by the way, which I mentioned earlier, that's another one of my favorite writers. Oh, man. And you know, I, I'm the guy who actually gets kind of excited when I meet someone who's, who kind of says like, yeah, I don't really know much about Shakespeare. And whenever I have, is this, this is boring. I don't get it. And I understand and I don't blame any of you who maybe start to have a twitching eye or a nervous tick feeling when you hear the word Shakespeare, because I get it, that can be repellent to a lot of people. Even if you've never really sat with it, we, we've just sort of collectively, if we're not interested or we feel a little maybe intimidated by great writing and big words, uh, and they're not even big, they're just flower, they're, they're, they're multidimensional, let's say that. Yeah, if we're not well-versed, pun not and indeed intended at the same time, then yes, just the the notion of the sound Shakespeare makes us go, God, no, too dense, too, yeah, leave it alone. And that is unfortunate because actually Shakespeare is indeed a writer for the people and what he, he may have been commissioned by the elite, but who he really is speaking to through his characters, you and me, baby, the everyday people. And even in the royals that he wrote, because oftentimes our central characters in his plays are people with some esteemed position in life. And nevertheless, he often shows how godly people in position are indeed flawed and human in their very nature. 
And man, there are some really fucking good lines that anybody can get. Here's one. There's this excellent line in Twelfth Night where this queen, Queen Olivia, who is just a little just tired of everyone because, you know, it's exhausting being a queen. You got everyone trying to get you. And plus, by the way, she's also, she is the new hottest commodity because she's looking for a husband. So she has millions of suitors. Ugh, and now and now she's dealing with more bullshit. And there's a scene where she's being sort of inundated by a lot of servants who need this, that, or, or just wondering about this, that, and the other thing. And she is dealing with them all in turn. And she says a line that essentially means, look, this isn't the time of month with me. I'm on, uh, it's that time of the month for me, all right? So I don't, I'm not in the mood to be having this stupid fucking conversation with you because it's that time of the month for me. That's the intention and the general meaning. But what's written is just fantastic. And tell me if it doesn't also make exactly the same sense that I just laid out. The line is, "'Tis not that time of moon with me to make one in so skipping a dialogue." I mean, that's some fucking fierce poetry right there. I think that's great. "'Tis not that time of moon with me. Get the fuck out of my face." I love that. Here's one that's even more direct. Or, well, actually, before I get to the most direct one, here's a little middle ground one. And a lot of us have heard this one before. At the top of Romeo and Juliet, you have a standard fucking, like, fronting, some some flexing going on between two different gang members, essentially. And one of them says, do you bite your thumb at me, sir? And the other one, it was, okay, do you bite your thumb at me, sir? What, what, does, is he, does he have a nail chewing problem? No, he's doing the fucking fuck you. You know, when you take the thumb and you put it behind your front two teeth and then you go, and you flick it out towards the people, that's, hey, fuck you. So the other guy's like, so, so one of them has done it to the other guy. He goes, and flicks him. So the other guy goes, do you bite your thumb at me, sir? To which the other one with that little thing that you do when you're trying to, you know, instigate shit but not be the first to draw the first punch, he says, ah, yeah, I I bite my thumb, but not at you, sir. (laughs) I mean, that's awesome. Now, here's the most direct, and this is the most fucking gangster shit that he wrote that I fucking love. In the play Titus Andronicus, There's a moment where the queen has suddenly had a new child. But, but, but who, who did it? The house slave? Which, by the way, the house slave is the mastermind of all the evil in that play. Or let me make this a little more three-dimensional. Not evil, but he's getting shit done on a professional level that deals with a lot of conspiracy and murder. So, you know, this guy's a positive dude. He gets shit done. But his station in life is, uh, at least in a caste system sense, the absolute lowest. But nevertheless, he's the guy who absolutely sweet-talked through intelligence, cunning, and strategy into the queen's bed. Oh, and yes, by the way, the other scandal is the fact that he has black skin and she has white skin. So there's a, a mixed baby that comes out. 
her elder sons, two white guys, they are pissed. They go up to this guy, Aaron is his name, and they are confronting him about the fact that, you know, it seems to them that he's absolutely besmirched their mother's honor, that this is a scandal. And the words they use to him are, Thou hast undone our mother. To which he replies to them, Boys, I've done your mother. (laughs) That's Shakespeare, my friends. It's not people all the time in tight tights with their hands in the air just saying things like this that don't make sense because all they learned was some elementary understanding of rhythm and pronunciation, but it doesn't apply to anything. You hear that a lot? You know, I, uh, real brief on that, what I have heard is that, you know, when these plays came out, it was the Renaissance. And that was a big fucking fun rated R time. Suddenly you got... Everyone getting naked for paintings again. That hasn't been done in forever. Maybe it wasn't... Well, no, I'm sure it was done before in some other way. But this is huge, especially in this fucking oppressed hundreds of years of torture Europe. And we're finally having a moment where we're kind of having a little bit of a hippie revolution, man. And... As I understand it, as Shakespeare's plays were coming out at the time, they were pretty fucking cool. It was like the next Quentin Tarantino movie. You were fucking jazzed. Like, oh my God, whoa, what's he going to do next? But then as the Elizabethan era closes, and as he's now dead, and that whole time period is dead, and new generations of aristocracy and different movements come, you get this boring-ass, just killjoy after the renaissance called the restorative period i believe and what does that mean all right everyone put your clothes back on we're ashamed again so england got re-repressed and um you basically miss all the dick and vag jokes that make shakespeare so good and for the last 300 plus years we've almost tonally become accustomed to this thing that is all up here and very flaunty and gestury and has nothing to do with anything because it doesn't get into the meat and the bones and the blood that Shakespeare is really all about. Man, I love Shakespeare so much, but I got to get on to uh, that for another time. We have indeed reached the end of this journey. And I want to wish something to you folks that was wished upon me a little while ago at the grocery store in which I work. You know, when I first got the job there and I thought about the kinds of customers I would be encountering each day in a grocery store environment, the first fear I had of a group of people would be the kids I was really not in the mood to deal with what I thought in my mind would be a bunch of screaming, out-of-control brats. Turns out, just about every kid who comes in is fucking awesome. And I get it, probably once they get out, they're back to being terrors with their parents. Who the hell knows? But, man, some of them are fucking hilarious, and some of them cut straight through to the zen and are disarming with the amazing words they use. And this sweet little girl wished me the greatest 
day I've ever been wished. And the great thing, too, about children is when they say something from the heart, there ain't no pretense, there's nothing rehearsed and and even showy and look at me. I mean, hey, it's all it's always about look at me and look what I can do, of course. But it's pure and it's direct and it's awesome and it's hilarious, just as Zen is to be. And this little girl said to me, I hope you have a magical rainbow unicorn day. Man, I was floored. My hand was on my heart. I even turned to my coworkers right then and there. I said, hey, when's the last time you were wished that kind of day? And, you know, it just it really, truly did make my day. Because who doesn't want a magical rainbow unicorn day? I know I want that. And I hope you guys can have that, too. So I'm wishing all of you, truthfully, from the psychedelic chambers of my heart and soul to have a magical rainbow unicorn day. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your rhyme. In the Words of Alex Rogers is a podcast orbiting the mothership of Wild 7 Studios. Music by Inca Rose. Keep your ears open for storyscapes, simpin' after dark, and other audio goodies from Wild 7. And keep your eyes open for its first feature-length film, Debbie and the Devil.